I seem to have developed a new ministry in the last couple of days. I prayed for a certain brother broke off a financial curse on his life. And the next day, he went, was in a car park in Washington. And there was a five-pound note hanging on a tree. Well, you can imagine, when I came in this morning and told Alan, there's a car park in Washington where money grows on trees. <laughs> if you see him leaving the service precipitously, you'll know where he's heading. <laughs> We're at the end of uh, five weeks in, in the UK, and it's been, uh, we spent two weeks in the South uh, with our uh, daughter Anna and her husband, our grandchildren, in London, and with uh, Jonathan and Fran Lloyd. Jonathan was one of the original elders in Emmanuel, and those of you that have been here long enough will know him. He's now serving as, uh, the, uh, as a full-time elder in a church in Winchester. And we were in a couple of churches also in the south. And then we were in a week and a half in Newcastle in four churches, I think, there. And we've been worked to death here for the last ten days and in Chesterley Street. So it's always a privilege to see what God is doing. And uh, But what God has done pales into insignificance in terms of what he is going to do. And I felt the Lord was adjusting me this morning. My son-in-law, Josh, uh, in Canada, had lost his job. The company went bankrupt just after we, we got here. And it's been very heavy in my heart. Uh, they ran out of money in a couple of weeks, so <laughs> that is a little bit of a concern. Maybe he should head to Washington. <laughs> but uh, uh, And I, I just felt the Lord was speaking to me in the worship this morning. And it's what a wonderful presence of God in the worship this morning. I'm so grateful to the worship leaders in this church and all of them. Uh, was one of the things that God did from the get-go here was an incredible environment of praise and worship. And it, it just has still carried on 38 years later. Amazing. Uh, but I felt in the worship the Lord was speaking to me uh, that instead of asking him, I was just to thank him for that provision for my son-in-law. And, you know, we get our eyes and our problems, don't we? But God has the solution to every problem. Before we know we have a problem, God has the answer to it. We worry so much. But really, we need to look to God. And you know what? If you're worrying all the time about how you're going to get through the next crisis in your life, you'll never get anywhere for God. Somewhere we just have to... I call it jumping off a cliff. We just have to do that and trust him. And we're still, Lane and I are still trying to trust him and jump off cliffs at this stage in our life because I don't believe in retirement. And uh, uh, refirement, maybe, but retirement, no. And uh, I feel that uh, we just need to keep our eyes on Jesus because he will finish every work he's begun. He, he doesn't leave it. Half done. So I encourage you this morning to lean into God. If you're discouraged or if you're down or if you've lost sight of God or if your problems are bigger than God or they seem bigger than God, then ask him to move on your heart by his spirit. Because if he can provide a five pound note hanging on a tree in a car park in Washington. And you know what? We can make a joke of it. 
Alan and I can anyway. The rest of you might not understand. But <coughs> uh, <clears throat> it's not actually a joke, is it? It's a sign of blessing where there was previously a curse. And we're moving into the blessing, folks. And who knows what God's going to do? Does that sound good, John? You've come here with one less appendix than you had last Sunday, but more blessing. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 54 uh, and the first several verses. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who've been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and people the desolate cities. And this was the scripture that God laid in my heart about six weeks ago for this morning. And I've road tested it a couple other places along the way. But really, uh, this was uh, particularly in my heart for Emmanuel. And I call it, uh, this message, the path to revival. And we have been, yes, somebody can say amen. That's good. Uh, we have been based in a church, though we're, we're frequently not there. As a matter of fact, next uh, Sunday, God willing, we're going to be in the United States and for seven weeks after that. But... Uh, uh, we've been based in a church where there is a keen anticipation of revival. As a matter of fact, it was a church where a revival started in 1994 in southern Ontario. And God touched hundreds and thousands of people from all across the world. And they're expecting revival and a moving of the Holy Spirit, not necessarily like the last time, because the next time be different from the last time, but they're expecting a next time. And... We need a move of God. We need a visitation of God. We need God to do something in our lives individually and corporately if we're going to do the job. And that's what these verses speak of. Uh, now, in chapters 52 and 53 of Isaiah, he gives perhaps the most powerfully and accurately prophetic word. Any of you that know your Bible will know those passages. In the entire Old Testament, perhaps there's nothing, I don't think there's anything quite like it, in terms of a prophecy concerning the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Amazing words spoken 700 years before Christ went to the cross. The prophet describes how Christ walked that way of pain and rejection and suffering through chapters 52 and 53. But then at the beginning of chapter 54, suddenly and without any warning, the whole tone changes. And there's this cry for joy. Shout for joy, O barren one. Break forth into joyful shouting. And I felt if you read, I feel if you read the passage, you can make the connection. Because as a, as a result of what Jesus did for us, described in 52 and 53, that we can enter into the inheritance that's promised for us in chapter 54. And that inheritance is described in these incredible words that I read out. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch forth the curtains of your dwellings. They may extend even across the car park to another building over there. This is, this is not a time to think small in the kingdom of God. 
This is a time to think big. This is not a time to think, what do we need now? This is a time to think, what do we need next year and two years and five years from now? This is a time to take possession of the land. Because if we don't do it, we could miss what God has for us. You will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations. You know, a small group of students that started this church in 1980 have spread abroad to the nations, and churches have been planted in the nations of the world on various continents because some people took a step of faith here, because they believed not just in what God was doing now, but in what God was going to do tomorrow and a year and two years and five years from now, and some of you will be sent to the nations Pete's going there shortly. I'm going to the United States. The weather is a little cooler than Madagascar, but the plumbing is probably a little better. <clears throat> so we want to see God's house enlarged, don't we? That's what we want to see. But how we respond to what God does is critical. God himself is sovereign And he will determine when he is going to do what he's going to do. We can't force him to do it. But how we we prepare and how we respond is critical in terms of stewarding what God wants to do. Remember those two stories in the Bible? Earlier on uh, in Jesus' ministry, uh, they caught all those fish and the nets began to break. And then Jesus replayed the whole thing after his resurrection. Same thing happened, except one difference, the nets didn't break. See, with the power of the Spirit, God wants to prepare nets that are not going to break. But the disciples didn't just go out, look over the edge of the boat and see suddenly all these fish are coming and think, well, we better go and buy a net. They came with the net. So you've got to come with your net, whether that's you personally Or you've got to come expecting and prepared that God is going to use you and do something in your life. And as a church, we have to do the same thing. Because if you read what Isaiah says, if you read what he says here carefully, he is giving commands. Enlarge the place. Let the curtains be stretched out. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. They're all commands. In other words, it's us that have to do the enlarging. It's us that have to do the stretching out. It's us that have to do the lengthening. It's us that have to do all those things. See, God can bring, because he's God, simply because he's God, God can bring a prophetic word to pass without our cooperation. But that is not usually the pattern. I mean, it was centuries before the coming of John the Baptist that God sent Malachi to prophesy his coming. But Zechariah and Elizabeth were very busy praying for a child. Do you see the connection? God sent an angel with an amazing prophetic word to Mary. But Mary gave a response and she said, may it be done unto me. According to your will, she cooperated with God. The church in Antioch had a prophetic word given. There's going to be a famine coming. It's going to hit Judea and the Jerusalem church is going to be affected by it. And they didn't sort of sit around and wait for it to happen. They took an offering up immediately. 
The famine might have been a year down the road. They took an offering up immediately because they wanted to be prepared. They wanted to respond to the prophetic word. You can have prophecies coming out of your ears, but if you don't do anything to prepare and respond for what God says he's going to do through the prophetic word, you'll miss a lot of what God wants to do. That's the whole point of the building across, I just use that as an example, building across the way. Well, I happened to be here back, we were talking about the other day, 10 or so years ago, 11 maybe years ago, when the elders were looking for a building and we came upon this one and we all said, this is it. At the time, it was just a shell with a little office in the corner. That was it. And there were all sorts of obstacles. Money was only one of them. Planning was another thing. But uh, they had vision and were sitting in the result of the obedient response that the people of God 10, 11 years ago had to prophetic words. They were prepared to step out in faith and do something in response. And you who are here this morning, particularly those who have joined in recent years, are sitting in the blessing of the obedience of other people's faith. So wouldn't it be nice if five and ten years from now there was other people sitting in the blessing of your faith? Well, you know what? Every time there's a baptism in this church, even though I left decades ago, uh, to me, uh, it's like a dividend coming in off an investment. And other churches that we're involved with. Every time we hear of God doing something, that's a dividend. As a young man uh, who was profoundly affected in this church. His name is Duncan Akerst. And uh, he attended here for three years while he was studying theology. And God can uh, help people who are studying theology. <laughs> Be a little bit of a... But anyway. And Duncan uh, got married to uh, uh, Anna. And they have just come back from three years or four years in not Madagascar, but Mozambique, leading Roland Heidi Baker's ministry school there, and have seen every, every just about every biblical miracle. One day he, he, fought, he uh, texted me and said, we've just seen a four-year-old boy raised from the dead. Now, Duncan was profoundly affected. I remember talking to him in one of the student weekends. It was outside the Lord Crew Arms up at... Um, uh, yeah, that's it. We were escaping from the, I don't know, was it Monster Acres? Minster Acres, sorry. One of those prestige five-star hotels that student retreats are held in. <clears throat> and God touched that young man's life right here in this church. And as a result, among other things, four-year-old boys raised from the dead in Mozambique. See, uh that's a dividend, Alan, that you've, you're drawing from your obedience and faith. It's incredible, isn't it? They were out in, uh, they were out in uh, the Woolly Wilds in some bush area of uh, Mozambique. And um, no one had seen a white person there. No one understood English, so there was an interpreter. But the gospel was preached. For the first time to a group of, I saw this on video, he sent it to me, a group of about a hundred 
folk there, at least a hundred. And in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit fell. They all began speaking in tongues. Pentecost. Pentecost wasn't just for then. It's for now. The Apostle Peter said, at Pentecost, we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since then. We've been living in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit since then. But somebody's going to do something. Duncan and Anna took enormous steps of faith to go there. And during the years they were there, I know I get regular uh, uh, requests. I mean, there were tons of obstacles that they faced. And uh, but they responded to prophetic words over their life. And so we need to, too. Now, before I get lose track of time here, the next thing of importance is these actions themselves. So the picture here that the prophet gives us is a tent with the fabric being stretched and the pegs having to be hammered deeper into the ground in order to hold this enlarged structure which is the house of God. So, if we're God's house, we can expect two things to happen to us, corporately together and individually. Number one, we'll be stretched outwardly. As God begins to move, expect greatly increased demands on your time, your energy, your resources, and your finances. Back when that outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred in Toronto in 1994, there were people, including us, that stayed up till 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning praying for folk. And then the next session started again at 8. And there were people whose lives were totally overturned because of the demands that were placed in their time and effort when the Holy Spirit began to move. They were gloriously overturned, but let me tell you, they were overturned. People got really, really stretched. And so we can expect greater demands. It's not just that, oh, God is going to, you know pour out his spirit upon us and we can sit back and bask in the blessings and so on. No, as God begins to pour out his spirit, there'll be great blessing, but you will be stretched. And the second thing is, not only will you be stretched outwardly, but those tent pegs have to be hammered deeper into the ground. You will need to step outside of your resources and into his resources or you will burn out. If you want to move ahead in God, you need to hammer your tent pegs a little bit more securely into the ground. Micah was telling me that his brother got married and the tent blew away the day before in a windstorm over the summer. And somehow they got it back together again and hammered it a bit deeper. So do you want your tent to blow away? We want the tent to be made secure. But you will have to go deeper into God. Your prayer time will have to increase. Your uh, love for God will have to move into a different dimension. You know, there's only one well that the living water comes from. Jesus dis, uh, disclosed that to the Samaritan woman. And she said, I, I, I want this. I'll never have to go anywhere else. You don't have to go anywhere else. Jesus is here with the well of his spirit. And But if you stop drawing from it, then you'll dry up quicker than you think. You need to step outside of your resources and into God. So we'll be stretched outwardly and we'll need to, we'll need to, to hammer our pegs deeper inwardly in order to accommodate 
what God is going to do. I'm, so I'm speaking, I'm saying God is going to do great things, but I'm talking this morning about what, how important it is that we both prepare and respond appropriately. See, our cooperation begins uh, long before God actually pours out the blessing. That's like Zechariah and Elizabeth praying for their baby to be born, even though God had prophesied several hundred years before that baby would be born. See, Jesus looked, walked in humiliation and suffering. He didn't look for an earthly reward. And God, likewise, is looking for a people who will persevere in faith and obedience in spite of setbacks and disappointments. He's looking for a people who will pray and not give up. He's looking for a people who walk in love and sacrifice toward one another. He's looking for a people whose treasure is in eternity and not in this world. And when he finds that people willing to pay that price, he will begin to release his promise. In other words, if you can walk through chapter 52 and 53 with Jesus, you'll inherit the blessing of chapter 54. And then what? When the blessing comes, don't make the mistake of the farmer in the parable who decided to build himself more barns and live off his abundance. Keep on giving away. Keep on sacrificing. And God will keep on giving. We need to walk in God's love and give it away. We're meant to be channels, not reservoirs. There are, I've seen people who we knew a lot of people who got so addicted to taking in more and more blessing and forgot about the importance of giving it away. They dried up. So we need to be a people who keep on giving and not hoard. What the what? How amazing it would be if God had a people who are continually living in and experiencing Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter 54. I think that's that would be incredible. And to do that, if I can figure my pages out here. Alan says there's no anointing on on all this anyway. <laughs> but to to live in this bless I've I've sketched out the framework of it now. The idea is that God is going to do some amazing things, but it's us who are called to do this the enlarging and us that are called to hammer those tent pegs in, we have to make a response because we're going to be stretched outwardly and we need to go deeper inwardly. But in return for that, I'm trying to I'm trying to minister faith to you this morning, in case you didn't notice. God will do great things. God will do amazing things. I tell you what, there's no end to what God can do. But if you want to live this way, there's Three things that you can't do without. Number one, unshakable conviction. The greater the challenge, the greater and more compelling a sense of conviction is necessary. That is conviction of what you believe. The conviction, the convictions that we carry, the sense of conviction that we carry is primarily rooted in the principles and the promises of the word of God. And then secondarily, it is rooted in the treasury of prophetic words which have been spoken over you or over this church, applying biblical truth to our own situation, because that's what prophecy is. We're very particular about prophecy. Matter of fact, there were several people a week ago yesterday that gave me some prophetic words that I asked, would you please send them to me? And only one person did, and God bless you all, but if the rest of you... That did that. I would really appreciate that because we keep a record and it's absolutely amazing how these prophetic words uh, pan out in our lives and how critical they are. So uh, now timing is usually the thing we get wrong about prophecy. We think especially if we get a positive word, it'll be fulfilled in about five minutes. 
Uh, but usually that's not the case. There may be a delay. Uh, Abraham short-circuited the process when the delay occurred and uh, wound up with trouble. Uh, sometimes we settle for less than what God promised. Sometimes we just give up. We, we, Elena had uh, three remarkable prophetic words that were so extraordinary in their particularity and in their implications that we've never been able to shake loose of them. They were given the first one in 1987 in Toronto. Uh, the second was given in 1991 in this country by a prophet. And the third was given also in this country in 2010. And it was the same word repeated three times. And it hasn't occurred yet. It's interesting, isn't it? That's, uh, see, we think, well, I had that prophetic word and six months ago nothing's happened. Well, I guess, poor me. No. I'm still hanging on because the word ended in the words concerning us ended in a promise of revival. I'm still hanging on to them. By the grace of God, I hope to live long enough that I see it. I've got convictions. I've got convictions that the word of God is true and I've got convictions that the prophetic word is accurate. So, number one, you need unshakable conviction if you're going to hang in there and inherit the promises. Number two, you need persevering faith. Because unshakable conviction can only be maintained by persevering faith. Now, Abraham is a great, in spite of his mistakes, he's a great model for us. And Paul sets him forth as a model in Romans chapter 4. Abraham's faith was not rooted in his emotions or his thinking. They went up and down all the time. But in his spirit, Abraham persevered for years in the face of multiple disappointments. God spoke remarkably and nothing happened. God spoke again. God appeared again. Nothing happened. But Abraham never gave up. His secret, I think, was that his faith was not in the promise. His faith was in the God who made the promise. See, you can get so hung up on a promise that God has given to you. You feel the promise as some power in itself and you lose sight of the God who gave the promise. You need to keep your eyes on the God who gave the promise. He'll look after his promises. He always keeps them. And here's another thing you may find helpful. We really need to understand the distinction between what I call the normal life of persevering faith and the 1 Corinthians 12 gift of faith. Now, let me illustrate this. By, by something that happened to, to uh, Peter. So, Peter, uh, from the time that he was living in Jerusalem, certainly after Pentecost and times that he would have been in Jerusalem before that, would have gone into the temple multiple times a day to pray. And so, as the years progressed, or at least several years went by, he would have gone in and out of the temple hundreds of times. Hundreds, at least. And all that time, every time he went in and out of the temple, he passed by somebody sitting at the gate. Right? One day, something different happened. After all those hundreds of times, Peter was a man of great faith. But it wasn't till the gift of faith was given to him that he got a hold of that man and said, Rise up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. 
That's the gift of faith. Now, here's the problem. We get too charismatic sometimes. And we think that the whole Christian life is like having a gift of faith. God will keep energizing us and things will immediately happen, like Peter at the gate. We forget Peter walked by hundreds of times wishing probably that he could do something to help that man, arguing with God, well, God, you've used me here, there, in the next place. Why can't you use me to reach that man? But God never gave him permission until that day. Now, I want to suggest to you that the normal Christian life is not characterized by the gift of faith, but in what I call persevering faith. It's persevering faith that carries us through to the day when God does something extraordinary. It's persevering faith that keeps us when our vision seems to be diminished or even destroyed, our hopes are low. And the problem is that our faith is sometimes no deeper than our instant must-have-everything-now culture. That's what we want. But we need, see, Abraham's faith was persevering faith. That's what it was. It wasn't that lightning bolt strikes you and all of a sudden you're the man or woman of God and you pronounce this and it's all going to happen. No, it was just the drudgery of day-to-day persevering faith, putting one foot ahead of another in obedience to God. And I want to suggest to you this morning, it's men and women who walk like that that will inherit the promises. That's been the experience of my life. There's times when God does something extraordinary. There's times when God does miracles. And we've seen those in our lives. But normally, that's not how it operates. And don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise your persevering faith. Don't despise the fact that you haven't inherited some promise that you want and you're going through a period of depression or discouragement or financial challenge or physical health challenge or all those things. That's part of the normal battle that we walk in. We, we got to walk through it and that's where we need to encourage and stir up one another. Hang in there. The prophetic is meant to set us on a course of seeking God, growing deeper, becoming more faithful, having our character strengthened. The prophetic is a journey in which the process matters as much as the destination. Because in the process, guess what? God's changing you. He is. How many people grow, have grown through stretching, challenging, awful times that God's brought you through. How many have grown through that? (laughs) Yes. How many of you have grown when there's been absolutely no challenge and everything's been wonderful? Well, there you go. The process is as important as the destination. So if you're facing a big challenge, praise God. Like the brother with the financial curse. God met him. Now, I actually, I, actually, I know this is a bit flaky, but it must be Alan's anointing rubbing off on me. <laughs> I actually think that when money is hanging on a tree, after you've just finished praying and breaking a financial curse, it might be God. It's a sign. My daughter and son-in-law, that's the ones that I'm trusting God for a job for, they, they were praying and they felt God had directed them to 
uh, move and relocate, and it was going to cost money and be, be there was there was uh, challenges attached to it. To be part of a church at the east side of Toronto called C4. Uh, any of you have sung that song? It's your breath. I can't sing it very well, but anyway, that that and other songs have come out of that church is great. And and Katie is a very gifted. Um, worship leader, and so, so Josh is as well. But uh, So they felt called to, to be part of that, not because they were seeking ministry prominence or anything. They just felt that, that <clears throat> they were to, to be part of that. And the church is called C4, uh, which is an acronym. It's short for something. Matter of fact, we had one daughter attending C3 in Toronto and the other at C4. <laughs> anyway, you know, what, whatever happened to, like, good, good, normal, biblical names like Emmanuel? Though I noticed down in Brighton, they've changed the church name to Emmanuel from Church of Christ the King. They finally got, well, Christ the King's all right, but Emmanuel's the, that's the best. Anyway, I'm going to lose my thought here. So, so this is what happened. Uh, They're praying and seeking God and they feel, you know, and they've had various reasons for, for believing that God was calling them to do this. But one day they were really agitated and they're driving along the car, the kids in the back seat, and they're, they're discussing this and asking God to really bring them clarity. And they, they got so into this discussion that they drove off the motorway at the wrong exit and uh, into a construction zone. And, you know, sometimes I at any rate, the way they do it in Ontario is that there'll be, you know, gate this and gate that. And, you know, if there's a big construction project, road works on a motorway or something and. In the middle of this discussion, having taken the wrong exit, there was a giant billboard related to construction uh, right in front of them. And it had written on it, C4. Well, I'm sure the, you know, construction company had nothing to do with the church that was on the other side of Toronto. But I said, well, you've got your sign. <laughs> sign. I know you'll get that. I have a friend in Indiana. <laughs> he won't believe this. I just have to tell it. <laughs> anyway, he has a sign company and uh, his name is Signs. <laughs> but <laughs> now, John, this one's for you. This one's for you. Before he ran the sign company, he was a mathematics teacher and his name is spelled S-I-N-E-S. I said, Bill, your whole life is a pun. (laughs) He's just the neatest guy. So they got a sign. Anyway, the prophetic is meant to set us on a course of seeking God. We've gone from signs to math teachers to money on a tree. But in the process of that journey, God changes us. And he deepens us. And guess what? And I know this from 2 Corinthians 1. It was Paul's experience. So don't be surprised it was yours. He brings you into the worst situations in order to create a greater degree of dependence. My American friends don't like it when I say it's not independence. It's dependence. I'm just joking. But dependence is where God wants us. And that's how we get there. Well, uh, Abraham, in the middle of his battle, considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Uh, To consider, in Romans 4, means 
to study, examine, ponder, apprehend something by immersing oneself in it. In other words, he looked at his body and he really knew he was past it in terms of uh, being a father, giving birth, and he looked at Sarah and so on. See, Abraham wasn't afraid to face the facts in front of him. Faith does not run away. I'm talking about persevering faith, right? Right. I mean, a gift of faith is something that will cause you to jump over a massive fence and do an incredible thing. But I'm saying we normally live in persevering faith and faith, persevering faith does not run away from what is there in front of us or deny that it exists. Faith does not say it's a negative confession to admit we're sick. That's not faith. That's deception. Faith states that in spite of the undeniable reality of the physical evidence that is against us, nevertheless, the evidence of the word of God is stronger because the word of God is the only evidence that faith requires. I hope that blesses you and your spirit. This is what we live by, not by what we see and touch and taste. A four-year-old dead boy in Mozambique, if somebody hadn't stepped out in faith, he'd still be dead. But the word of God says that Jesus can resurrect the dead. And I expect they probably had a little gift of faith to help them along. So that's the kind of faith that you and I need for most prophetic promises to be fulfilled and for us to get through to them. It's the faith that carried Paul when he despaired even of life. The faith that carried him through when he'd been beaten up and abused and discarded, sometimes by the very people he'd given his life for. That's the kind of faith we need, but it will bring us through. So we need, and I'm coming to an end here, we need, in order to inherit the promises, we need unshakable conviction. Number one. Number two, we need persevering faith. And number three, we need utter reliance in the Holy Spirit. And just so that I get the whole thing in in the framework here and you understand what I'm saying, those three ingredients are what you need in order to be out there strengthening your tent pegs or strengthening your tents and hammering your pegs into the ground. You need those. You need unshakable conviction. You need persevering faith. And number three, you need utter reliance on the Holy Spirit in order to prepare for the move of God, to prepare for the prophetic promises over your personal life or over this church, to prepare for and then to respond when God begins to do something. These are the three things you need. And so I'm coming to the very end here, which is. But it is very important. It's utter reliance on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God on earth. I know it's anthropomorphic language, but the Bible presents the Father is sitting on the throne and Jesus at his side. But the Holy Spirit is definitely here. That's why the devil tries to minimize the work and person of the Holy Spirit as much as he can. And to say the gifts of the Spirit don't even operate anymore. Because if he can say the Holy Spirit isn't operative anymore, if we only think of the Holy Spirit as a doctrine on a piece of paper or as an it or whatever, then we've lost God on earth. That's not a good place to be, is it? So we want to honor the Holy Spirit. Never apologize for the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, our Western mindset is very oriented toward problem solving. That's one of the reasons why we have all these advances in 
technology. But our fallen human nature is oriented, orientated toward instant and painless solutions to all of our problems. It would have been wonderful. John was rushed to the hospital last week. The doctor had said, you know, waved a wand over him or whatever, and that would have been the end of his appendicitis. Unfortunately, it got a little more involved. Not as involved as it used to be. I've got a scar right up my middle from when I had my appendix removed at the age of 12, so God was blessing you. It was less painful than my experience was. But uh, we want absolutely painless solutions to our problems. That's our fallen nature. And in our Western uh, society, we want instant, uh, and we have the, the uh, means to, you know, through technology, to problem solve in a very instantaneous way. And I want to suggest that when those two tendencies meet, our technological prowess and our fallen human nature, uh, and it comes into church, that thinking comes into church, trouble is just around the corner. The church can be full in our Western culture, maybe on the other side of the ocean, but more than here. But it's full of programs and techniques which are guaranteed to solve your problems. You know, read the book and everything will fall into place. And you'll grow from 50 to 5,000 and your finances will be fine and your health problems will disappear and all this kind of thing. Just buy my book, buy my DVD or listen to my live stream or anything like that. And you're all set. There's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no journey, there's no nothing. That's a lie. It's a lie. It's a total lie. There's millions of people that are believing it these days. I'm not going to name any preachers, but they're around in different parts of the world. The truth is, we need to embrace the journey because God's more interested in shaping character than in achieving results. I said God's more interested in shaping character than achieving results. Now, God likes a few results. He does. But... He's concerned about the character. Uh, And here's my punchline. To get God's results, you need God's spirit. Going to seminars and all that type of stuff is is not you. You can't do you can't do nothing. I'm getting ready for rural America. You can't do nothing without the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Hello, somebody. You can't. None of us can do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. We know we were saved uh, by the by the new birth through the Holy Spirit, but we're sanctified by the Spirit. Sanctification is a gift. Every day I need power to live for Jesus. I can't rely on what God did back then. Sometimes we have this mistaken idea that we were saved and God saved us and we couldn't do anything about it, but now we've got to sort of work ourselves into some kind of self-improvement as Christians. That's not true. You can't do it. I can't do it. The fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Grace is not just a theological concept. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to change. And so all these things I've been talking about, please don't hear me as saying, you've got to get out there and work harder for God. Stretch out your tent. Hammer your tent pegs in. You know... Gird your loins up, you bunch of lazy bums. <laughs> Get off your backside. <laughs> no. It's, God, I can't do it. I need your spirit. I can't do anything without you. We need to be a people who encourage one another. Now, what's my, do I have a role in it? Yes, I have a role in it. I have a role saying yes to God. I have a role saying, yes, God, I will obey you. 
Yes, God, if your prophetic word, I'll go back to where I started because I'm about to finish. If your prophetic word comes to me, I'll say, yes, God. I won't get jaded. Well, I've heard those prophecies before and they never come to pass. No, I won't. I won't get in that place of, oh, this is wonderful. I don't have to do anything. God's just going to pour out all the blessings of heaven on me. No, I'm going to respond to God. I'm going to say, all right, if God's going to use me, if God's going to do things in my life, then I need to get ready. And as a church, we believe those things. Then we need to go take possession of the land. You need a resource center. For the whole north half, I reckon, of this country. Because of all the things that God's going to do. This church touched the northern parts. The northeastern parts, certainly, of this country. There's churches all over. the. You know, in 1980, there weren't that many churches like this around here. I can tell you, because I was here, there was... You could count them on the fingers of one hand in the whole northeast of England. I'm right, Alan, aren't I? Now... And in significant measure, because of all the labors that have gone forth in this church, there's churches all over. And then others have come and got in on the bandwagon. You know, people like Hillsong, the ones that sort of have come late to the party. Oh, God bless them. (laughs) See, but we need the power of the Spirit. We need to respond and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do my part. But I need your spirit to do it. That's what I'm trying to say. We all long for a move of God. We all long for God to do great things in our lives. But God's ends require God's means. If he wants the character of Christ to be formed more perfectly in us, he will strip us of our resources and make us more reliant on him instead. Even Jesus set aside not his divinity, but his powers of divinity to become reliant on the Spirit to do His mighty works. So we need to draw close to God in prayer and in fellowship and seek Him every day for His Spirit in our lives. And then we need to respond to what He said. We need to go out and enlarge some tents and lengthen some cords and strengthen some pegs. And then, God willing, we will see revival.